It's the ACC Basketball Degenerates Podcast rolling on a Sunday. As always, we're fresh off watching the top three ACC teams go through some significant tests yesterday as the non-con winds down. Our primary focus, though, for this edition will be efficiency. Because guess what? We're going to have Ken Pomeroy on the line, the guru himself. You know him if you know college hoops. So that's uh, our primary focus for this episode, but let's go around the table. As always, I'm joined to my left by Taylor Pilkington. He's an editor at Virginia Living Magazine. That's his claim to fame here. Hello, hello. To his left, Guthrie Alexander. He's our resident homer. Go who's? And finally, Mike Jaffe, Vegas Insider. Woo, happy to be here. This is, this is, I've been looking forward to this podcast since we started recording. Stop drinking 12 hours before we're taping. That's good. Guthrie's eating an egg roll. Things are going well. Yeah, I'm you, really excited. You sound like a drunk Santa right now, even though it's been Prepare the vessel. <laughs> well, I'm Luke Neer, broadcast journalist at WINA ESPN 1450 in the Voss Sports Radio Network. So following the Ken Palm interview, we're going to reflect, we'll preview, we'll pick, as always, and give our ACC holiday gift guide. All right, folks, we left out as much fluff as possible in that intro because we have to be efficient. We have to be efficient because we need to get to the guy right now, the guru, Ken Pomeroy on the line of KenPom.com. That's the website. Pay him a visit there and subscribe. It'll change your life, especially if you're a College Hoops fan. So, Ken, with that said, welcome to the podcast. Glad to have you. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. So why don't we begin with a little bit of your background, your story, how you connected basketball at the college level with a pretty unique algorithm. Take me through the when, the why, and the how you began this process of measuring. Yeah, it happened uh, probably you know early 2000s. Um, I've always been a little bit predisposed to the, the mathematical side of life and, uh, you know, big sports fan as well. So there's always that connection. Uh, anyway, about that time, uh, I was you know, reading a lot of, like, cool stuff uh, with respect to baseball, and people were starting blogs, uh, doing analytical work on baseball, and then kind of showing that some of the conventional wisdom in the sport was open to uh, a little more scrutiny than it had been. Um, so that's really what got me started. You know, like, okay, cool. Like, this is interesting. I'm not really a baseball fan, but this stuff is still, like, making me interested in baseball. Sure. And uh, kind of looked around for similar work on basketball, specifically college basketball, and uh, it didn't really exist. And it took me a while to kind of get going and get involved because, I mean, this was, like, before Google was really established, maybe before yeah. it was invented. <laughs> so you couldn't, like, you know, it was one of those deals where you could, like, search the internet, but you weren't sure that you were missing something, you know, so uh, it took a few months, but after a few months of convincing myself that this content really didn't exist, I got into it, started writing, and, and found out that um, we needed some better measures to kind of speak intelligently on, on the sport, and so that's really where things got started. Yeah, certainly, so there were pioneers in baseball statistics. Why college basketball for you? It's a little bit more of a niche sport. Why not the NBA? Why college basketball? Were you drawn to that because you were a fan of college hoops? Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, I was, you know, I've always been much more of a fan of the college game than the pro game. And, and part of that is just because there's so many more teams and there's so much going on. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. even if I wasn't like a huge fan of college hoops, it's, there's definitely like a challenge to following what's going on across the country. You know, in the NBA, most games are on TV, and even back then, most games are on TV. But in, in college, you know, there's a lot of games on TV now, but there's still a lot of games that aren't, and there's so many games every day that 
Sure. You know, you can you can miss something pretty easily. So, um, you know, it helps to have kind of a an easy reference to you know, hey, I want to look up what this team does well, what if they don't do well, who's their star player, and uh, you know, it really didn't exist back when I was kind of thinking about this stuff. Yeah, and even though that it's a niche sport, it does affect pretty much every citizen of the United States come that first weekend in March where everyone is either in an office pool or something to that nature. Anyway, Taylor, I'm going to toss to you for a, a couple questions. Go ahead. Yeah, so Ken, we're an ACC-focused podcast, and uh, you went to Virginia Tech. Are you a Hokie? Are you a Hokies fan? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, as, uh, as much as I can be, obviously. Uh, so you're a rare breed, a Hokie basketball <laughs> fan. It's a rare breed. <laughs> a little bit of a challenge uh, in recent years, no question, but uh, I think Buzz is, is slowly turning the ship around. We're not quite there yet, but we're better this year. A little better this year. You think Buzz is going to stay more than one more year? You think so? <laughs> I, think he's, I think he's in for the long haul, fellas. All right. <laughs> do you, right. Do you have magical. fond memories of Castle Coliseum? I mean, do you guys remember the Dave Lado era? Come on, there's, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, they, hey, we made, the, we made the 32 that during one of those years, so that's all we can cling to. But uh, so did you guys, yeah. there, so which is kind of strange. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, honestly, and I, I have a question for you: Is who's the better two-sport athlete, Devin Wilson or Gene Salvatore, the ref for the uh, NFL and college <laughs> basketball? I, I don't know. I don't know which one's better, Gene. <laughs> so, so Ken, you were one of the first, really, like you were saying, to popularize and um, bring these analytics into the mainstream of college basketball. Um, do you think that we've we finally arrived, that it's become accepted in every corner of the college basketball landscape? No, I mean, that definitely hasn't been accepted everywhere. There's still holdouts and still people that uh, resist using it or don't use it at all. Sure. Um, and there are people that that misuse it for, for evil purposes. But... Uh, <laughs> But I think, I mean, you know, my goal is not to have, like, I would I would actually hope that there's those people always exist, you know, because uh, if everybody uses it, the conversation gets pretty boring, and uh, it's nice to kind of have the holdouts, right. uh, you know, for a little bit of contrast, so kind of like, uh, you know, what, how people think without the use of modern statistics and, and how people think when they do use them. Don't worry, they'll come over to the dark side like yeah. the rest of us soon enough. It's only a matter of time. All right, we got Ken Pomeroy on the line. It's the ACC Basketball Degenerates podcast. Ken, I want to focus on this year uh, specifically, 2015 to 2016. Of course, some rule changes over the course of the offseason. The 30-second shot clock uh, is allowing for more possessions per game, which in theory favors the elite teams. So some voices in college basketball have proposed shortening the clock down even further. Do you think 30 is a good magic number or threshold which promotes possessions but not chaos and randomness? Uh, I think it's a good start. You know, I I mean, I, I remember all those arguments before the season. So now they've, like, all gone away because uh, you know, I don't hear, like, I can't remember who made them, and but I know they existed, and I want to kind of, Point out those people and like publicly uh, admonish them, <laughs> shame them, <laughs> humiliate them. You have yeah, a full support. Yeah, exactly. You have exactly. Full support Not, yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't know if I'd go so far as humiliate, but but um, you know, I want those people to admit that they were wrong because you know we have had plenty of upsets. Um, 
know, I mean, you have teams like Monmouth, for instance, that have pulled off multiple upsets or Radford, you know. I mean, it's, the upsets have been there. There's no sense that uh, college basketball has gotten more predictable with the new shot clock. And, you know, offenses have been just as efficient this year as they were last year, if not more so, uh, with a, a lower shot clock. And, you know, some of that is also attributable to the way the game's called. But, um, you know, all these horror stories that the naysayers had for why we shouldn't modernize the game have uh, not occurred. So uh, with regard to the shot clock, I do think, like, going to 24 is uh, a legitimate subject to talk about. Uh, certainly, I think you'd like to see the next mm-hmm. two years at 30 and see what happens. I mean, this year has been great. Next year will probably be slightly lower scoring. That's just the way things go. You know, the long-term trend has always been for, you know, season after season to be lower scoring in the absence of any rules changes. But uh, I think I think kids could handle 24. I mean, they're handling it internationally. You know, if you play the 24, and you have these under-18 tournaments where they're using that shot clock. Yeah, you're right. You know, using, the, using the Pan Am games and, and you know, uh, you know, Guys like Jamal Murray, you know, flourished in that kind of environment. So, um, so I think it'd be fine. Personally, I would I would champion lowering it to 24 and also pushing back the three point line. But uh, but I'm willing to to wait a year before I start screaming about that. Yeah, you know, Ken. One of the things um, that people talked about with the shot clock was whether it would help offenses more or defenses more. Who would benefit? And um, you did a whole series on your blog this summer about how the offense versus the defense affects different types of statistics. Um, and you had some key takeaways from that, but was that something you've been working on for a while or was that just a new experiment that you were trying out? Yeah, it was, you know, like most of the, the things I do, it, it, you know, just kind of popped in my head one day and uh, you know, start, started researching some stuff. I think, you know, it was one of those things I borrowed from baseball too where I've seen some studies where, baseball guys had done something similar, but not exactly the same as what I did. <laughs> and so I thought, you know, that might shed some light on college basketball. I mean, it really, I think maybe kind of in the final four, I was looking at some stuff on, on offensive efficiency and, and defensive efficiency, and I noticed that there's a greater spread on a team level in offensive efficiency, suggesting that, that the offense has had a little more control over the game, and, and so I just kind of applied that to all the other stats. And I mean, I think it was... For me, anyway, it was pretty useful with respect to the rules changes. Like, to understand that, you know, the offense is in control of most things. You know, they're in control of how many threes they take. They're in control of how long the possessions are. And, you know, this idea that the defenses were causing the lower scoring in basketball was uh, pretty shaky. You know, I mean, those offenses that were creating the, the longer possessions, slowing down the game, that was primarily driving it. Um, you know, maybe the defense had a little bit of control there, but whole idea of freedom of movement, too, you know, I mean, yeah, sure, defenses are bumping cutters, but, you know, you can watch any game, you know, certainly last year and previous years where, you know, pick and rolls, I mean, there aren't too many, like, stationary screens these days, you know, offenses get away with a lot in terms of screening, and and that gives them a nice advantage, too, and allows them to, you know, control the ball for longer and and extend those possessions, so, uh, so anyway, that's kind of the background of that study and kind of why I feel pretty confident that, you know, as we've seen this year, the offense can can handle shorter time on the on the shot clock, and then still be pretty successful. Yeah, one of your key takeaways that I know is broad, but uh, you said a good offense beats a good defense, and a bad offense will struggle against a bad defense. Do you think that means that will you know, with that understanding, will we see some of those elite teams be the teams that favor an offensive mindset? 
Um, you know, I think of a team like UVA right now that they've, in the last few years, built their identity on defense. But this year, it's really their offense that has been the, you know, the, the driving factor. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, what's the question? Uh, I just want to say, do you think that we'll start to see more elite teams focus on the offensive end? We'll see oh, more right. elite teams in your rankings um, with higher offensive ratings. Yeah, I mean, uh, you're assuming that uh, a lot of coaches, A, read my stuff, and B, are influenced by it enough to change the direction of their philosophy that they developed over the years. <laughs> well, some so, have, yeah, already. All, <laughs> Yeah, I'll I will. I will it. say. Yeah, I'll say that when um, what is it? Will Myers, the new coach of VCU, was hired in his Will uh, Wade. Yeah. Will Wade. Yeah, I'm sorry. When when he was interviewed immediately upon being hired, the only time they said he got animated was when talking about Ken Palm's sight. You know, that, that's he was literally like just kind of okay throughout. Uh, so I would I would say it's safe to assume that uh, there are a fair number of coaches that are reading reading the site. There are, there are a few. I you know, so I will say. Uh, for one thing, like the UVA case is extremely interesting because I think before the season people would have said, "Oh man, that's a team that's really they're going to really be affected by this. They can't play their style, you know." And, exactly. Yeah. And obviously their offense has so far flourished. Um, but it, you know, it, it did give me some appreciation for like Notre Dame, where Mike Ray, you know, consistently has a great offense and his defense stinks. And you know, like one of the things I found was that they like never try to take charges. Like they're just completely indifferent on defense. And mm. um, but they're you know they're there are justifiable reasons for that. Like, hey, if you want to conserve energy on defense and put all your chips on the offensive end, you know, maybe that's the way to go, given given the results of the study. I mean, Notre Dame's in a special case where they're not getting a ton of, of blue-chip recruits, so, you know, they're not going to dominate on both ends like the truly elite teams are. But um, but I do think there's, there's a case to be made that if you have to, you know, recruit for one end of the court or specialize in one area, that you should do it on the offensive end and not the defensive end. Oh. So, I mean, you talk about the coaches, the influence, and, um, I, you know, as we were saying, we have seen some coaches, specifically like Jim Laranega and Sean Miller, have said that they use your information to both scout and you know, scout other teams and prepare their own teams. So, and I know you've consulted uh, with teams in the past, both college and NBA, and I was hoping that maybe you could tell us a little bit exactly what it is. Um, you do with them. What is it that the teams are looking at and looking to get from using your numbers? Yeah, I mean it's it's pretty high level stuff. So it's not like I have the the secret to winning. And I, I you know, <laughs> well, don't tell people that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you don't have the secret to winning. Then what are we doing here? <laughs> what are we doing here? Yeah, right. I mean, how many people offer to fly you to Vegas per year? I mean, that's, that's the real question. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm sure that and I've heard we're you offering right podcast. now. We're offering yeah, right now. Exactly. We are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's uh, unfortunately it's more complicated than that. But uh, um, yeah, so I mean, it, you know, it's mostly about like kind of using additional data that's not on my site. Um, you know, there's some things you can get out of play-by-play data that are um, you know, more useful to identifying an opponent's tendencies or their players' tendencies or you know how they construct their lineups, things like that. Um, those are primarily the things. They're just you know, and a lot of it's also just kind of interpreting the data that you do see on the site. So you know, some coaches, you know, kind of know what they're looking at, but they know that I maybe have a better understanding of the numbers, and so I'll provide them with um, you know more commentary on on uh, what an upcoming opponent does well or doesn't do well, or what they can expect. So uh, so those are the kind of unsexy things that I do for these teams. Do you have an example of like one of those things where you might? 
uh, explain a way to break down those numbers uh, that might not be readily apparent to either a coach or a fan, just a common fan? Um, yeah, you know, I don't have a great example. I mean, what, you know, I'll say one thing uh, that I so you know, like I don't know if you guys saw like the recent thing I did in my blog, where like you know talking about Villanova and their three point percentage and yeah. how yes. yeah. Um, yeah, we all read it. Uh, we, we referenced it last week. Actually, on the <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, good. Yeah, so um, you know, so some of the stuff is like that. It's uh, you know not looking at the numbers at face value necessarily, but uh, you know trying to say what the numbers mean. But just because uh, a team is you know shooting twenty eight percent from three. Like, I think the, the casual fan not knowing anything else would say, oh, you know, this team can't shoot the three. We should give them space. You know, maybe we should play some zone, whatever. Uh, but the reality is, you know, you look deeper and look at, at, at some of the other data on that team, both from this year and last season, you would actually come to the opposite conclusion. Like, hey, you know, if you guys attempt to think of this team can't shoot, you're making a huge mistake. You really need to take away their shot as much as possible. And, uh, and so that's kind of like some of the interpretation that goes on. Yeah, Ken. Uh, let's uh, let's turn this to the ACC. Of course, um, the conference has your top four teams in adjusted O right now. Your algorithm in general it accounts for the long run. So, do you think it's more efficient in predicting, say, an ACC regular season champion as opposed to predicting which teams are going to do well in March in the tournament, where it's a one and done, where you have forty minutes worth of possessions? Yeah, I mean, I think it, understanding the system, like, helps you understand why March is the way it is and why, you know, a conference regular season is the way it is as well. I mean, every game, you know, has, even though one team's favorite over the other, especially when you get into conference play, you know, there's a chance of that favorite losing, and sometimes those chances are, are pretty big, especially when they play on the road, Um you know, having to play half your games on the road in conference play can introduce some chaos. But over the course of 16, 18, 20 games, you know, the better teams are going to rise to the top. I mean, as much as I'd like to think that Virginia Tech could get on a run and, you know, <laughs> Oh, they can. The they can. <laughs> Real, realistically, if they went 500, I mean, that would be uh, an amazing accomplishment the way they've played so far. So, um, so it, it, you know, in that sense, I mean, it does give you uh, a little better sense of, who should win the conference race as opposed to who should win the NCAA tournament. But um, it, I think it does a good job of kind of showing you that, um, you know, it is hard to win the NCAA tournament. Even the favorite, you know, when I published the data going into the tournament, I mean, the favorite this year will have like a 20% chance to win the NCAA yeah. tournament. So, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I, you know, I read this on the internet, so I assume that it's true. But um, do you do you go to March Madness, or do you go to Las Vegas for the first weekend of March Madness each year, as I do? I, I read that somewhere. I don't know if it's true or not, though. Oh, where where did you read that? I hope it wasn't on my Wikipedia page. Yeah, I think it, I think it was through uh, your Sports Junkies podcast. I think uh, up there in DC. <laughs> so that may go. just be your man Vinny up there, just kind of throwing stuff against the wall. But I just wanted to check and see if it was true or not. I do. I go for a conference tournament weekend. So, uh, uh, okay. And it's actually more, it's less sitting in the sports book, a lot less of sitting in the sports book, and more of, of watching conference tournaments because seemingly every 
conference located west of the Mississippi now has their tournament in Las Vegas at this point. So, right, right. Um, yeah, that's absolutely of, true. Yeah, a lot of games to catch. And that's and that's honestly a smarter way to do it. I mean, to go for the conference tournaments where you actually have a predictive, <laughs> you know, you've actually seen these teams play one another. You actually have a bit more history there. I think, you know, we always go for the first weekend each year in, uh, in Vegas for the March Madness. Um, but, you know, it can get a little crazy there, but there's nothing better than sitting in the Westgate with 1,500 guys that haven't showered and, you know, we can <laughs> half and are drinking bloody mary's at 8 30 in the morning uh, you know it gets awkward and beautiful at the same time which is how i describe march madness to people so um and and i guess when you're there are you are you actively wagering on games while while you're there uh, for the conference tournaments i'm not i'm not actively wagering no i mean it's honestly like wall-to-wall basketball so um you know that's that takes up most of my time i mean it's sure. you get there on a it's like i'll typically get there like wednesday or something and I mean, Thursday and Friday is, you know, game starting at noon and ending at, you know, ending after midnight. Um, yeah, yeah, it's a long Friday schedule. Friday and Saturday is pretty similar. Well, you should consider coming to D.C. for the ACC tournament this year. Or Greensboro. Have you ever been to Greensboro for the uh, the ACCT? Uh, I've been to Greensboro. I've never been there for, for the tournament. You're going to have to put that on the list because we want to see yeah. you there in the, in the near future. Hey, uh, that I think that's going to wrap it up for us. Uh, Taylor, any more thoughts? Uh, Ken? Thank you so much for uh, for your time. Uh, we're going to plug the web- website real quick, kempom.com. Tell us what you have new going up there uh, besides from maybe besides from even the blog. You can uh, plug the blog, but also um, what our listeners are going to get when they subscribe to uh, your site. And before we go, can you give us your uh, biggest surprise in the ACC so far this year? Biggest surprise team, and uh, you know, I guess you know, pick a pick someone who you think has the best chance to win it. Yeah, I mean, from a surprise standpoint, I, it's hard to really like get too excited about anybody. I mean, Louisville has has been somewhat surprising. They have you know played basically played like one game against a quality opponent, but a, a really intriguing team right now. People seem to not buy into them, and uh, obviously before the season, people weren't buying into them. But it looks like. Yeah, it's starting to feel like 2014 all over again when they were kind of the underseeded team going into the tournament. Uh, played well. Yeah, I, I like that little. They're also getting sure. more sleep after you know um, this this scandal got uh, got brought to the forefront. That's my theory on <laughs> right. Louisville. They're all going to bed at like eight o'clock these days because there's nothing to do at uh, at one a.m. Yeah, well, there's no one left to guard the rim either, though. So I'll be interested to see how they do in the next two weeks. Um, but yeah, that, that, uh, you know, outside of the top five in the ACC, do you see anyone else in there in kind of that mid range level, say Pitt, Syracuse, NC state, your, your Hokies, um, any, anyone in there that makes an impact in the, in ACC play, you think? You know, we've been talking about all the, all the good offensive teams in the conference, which is kind of an interesting point to like touch on too, because once we get into conference play, a lot of defenses are not going to look so good going against these offenses, but Pitt actually has the 14th ranked offense somehow. Yeah, um, yeah, shocking. System. Yeah. yeah, and then, you know, uh, again, like Louisville has really not played a schedule where you can make too many judgments. But the early, the early indications are promising for them. So, uh, you know, it's kind of another, another team that I'm, I'm keeping my eye on here early in the season. Yeah, they're playing Davidson now. I think as we speak, listen to the first half on the way up. Uh, anyways, good, good quality basketball team there at Pitt. Should be quality. We'll see. Yeah. Never know. <laughs> yeah, that's right. All right, Ken, once again, thanks. Thank you for the uh, the analysis. Um, tell us the information on the website and uh, what listeners are going to get with the subscription, what kind of columns you have up on the blog, and uh, just uh, give us the information. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, with the subscription, you get basically all the underlying kind of statistical data for a team. You know, if you want to know 
what a team does, and you kind of want to look at it the way uh, your head coach may look at it. Um, you know, that's the way to do that is to kind of get on my site and, and look at the categories and see how people, uh, see how teams are doing, how players are doing. Uh, and you also get predictions for all the games, the upcoming season, predicted records for each team. So um, it's, uh, it's a really useful analytical tool if you're a, a college hoops junkie. And uh, I'll point out that uh, you can also uh, purchase a gift subscription if you're looking for all right. the perfect present for $20 <laughs> for uh, the college hoops junkie in your life. Yeah, it really is. It's great value and adds just endless entertainment for us and allows us to really frame the conversation of basketball, I think, in the right way at the college level. So really, thank you for all that you do for us. We really yes, appreciate and, uh, it. Yes, thanks for joining the show. We'd love to have you back on in the future. Or maybe we'll run into you at Castle Coliseum. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I've never been, but uh, I hear it's uh, quite the dungeon. <laughs> do they still have? Uh, uh, do they have not? Do they have not? Did they have nylon nets yet, or they, do they still have like the chain nets, <laughs> like uh, you know that you see in like the, the sh- you know the playgrounds? I don't yeah, know. they they got rid of the uh, you know the the analog game clock. You know, oh, <laughs> oh, wow. oh, right. Yeah, they got rid of that too. Well, that's a step in the right direction. Ken, thanks again for everything, and um, yeah, we will certainly keep reading you, and uh, our listeners will as well. All right, thanks, guys. Okay. Thank you. Thanks, Ken. Well, that was outstanding for us nerds, right? That conversation. It was great. I mean, can I put him in my pocket and take him with me anywhere? I feel I, like we had a lot more questions. It was like but, meeting uh, one of my idols. But we only had a, a certain amount of time, so. But anyway. Yeah, so good. So good. Okay, before we get on with the rest of the podcast, time for a quick moment from our sponsors. The ACC Basketball Degenerates Podcast is sponsored by Three Notched Brewing, named after a colonial-era trail running through central Virginia. Three Notched Brewery develops innovative beers around bold characters that left their mark on American history. Characters like Thomas Jefferson, Jack Jewett, and Patrick Henry. Three Notched Beers can be found at fine grocers everywhere and at their tasting rooms in Charlottesville and Harrisonburg, Virginia. This week, we're drinking Grey Ghost. Guff, you're drinking Grey Ghost. What do you think? Well, not, not quite How's yet. How's your palate? Hold on. Hold on. Tasting notes? The silence. Oh. What mm. do you think? Mm. Now, be ghost. fair. Be fair. Don't be a homer. <laughs> don't, yeah, don't, don't go resident on me. Grey Ghost. With an ambush of dry hops, this crisp, refreshing summertime beer <laughs> goes down smooth. That, that made it worth it for me. That made it well, worth it for I, me. Well, yeah. I, I don't know how you got the. Uh, I don't know how your palate got that refined, but okay. Thanks again to Three Notched, uh, our sponsor for this podcast. All right, guys, let's get into it. We're going on to a new segment. It's called Eating Crow or Vegas Eating Our Lunch. Either way, um, either way. The house always wins. Exactly. Whichever you prefer. So we're going to review right now. Last week, predictions. All right. We all lost on our locks. I had Notre Dame as a lock. Taylor had Notre Dame as a lock. Guthrie had Notre Dame as a lock. Mike had Clemson as a lock. Um, Guthrie might have to eat a flock because he had Notre Dame, Clemson, Nova, and UCLA against the spread. Wow. Um, Mike had Clemson and Nova, so he was 50-50, and Taylor and I were 3-1. So that's our recap because we took UVA, UNC, and South South Carolina. That's not bad. I threw the the Duke game out because we taped before the Jefferson injury. Ah. 
So I just threw that out. So That's so fair. when I when Isn't I went fair? against you all, uh, you know, in, in actually winning that one, and well, maybe you went to practice and we don't know about <laughs> it. And you <laughs> oh, broke yeah. right. broke Emil Jefferson's foot. foot. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so yeah, that's you, still you not picked, fair. You picked Utah, and the three of us picked Duke. Is that, that, is, that is how okay. it uh, Congratulations, Mike. Yeah. Congratulations. I know you feel real good over there. <laughs> I do. I do. All right, gentlemen. Utah versus number seven Duke at the Garden played out like. We expected, except um, Duke was even shorter on the court or less physical because Brandon Ingram had to play the four. Yeah. Guthrie, go ahead and start us. So uh, so it looked like pretty tight going down the stretch um, in, at the end of regulation anyway. Uh, and that's I only caught like the last few minutes of regulation. Luke Kennard. I mean, what the, Dude, what the heck? Have you, have you watched him like... He messes with his hair more than any anyone I've ever seen. Like he is so twitchy every every second. He has to be like messing with his hair. I thought mm. it was kind of funny, but he mm. he played really really freaking well. Wait, is he white? He is. I'm just kidding. <laughs> he is. He's very white. I've seen him play. He is, uh, you know, Wonder Bread white. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I know, right, from the reviewer. Let's talk about how the game opened as opposed to how it closed. I mean, Duke in a 2-3 zone. uh, Did not really expect them to come out that way for the first 10 minutes of the game. Why not? You know, especially against a team like Utah. I mean, Jakob Poldl, I mean, just (laughs) just ate him up. Ate him up from the t- getting the ball in the high post, and as soon as they would, Mason Plumlee would come to uh, negate kind of his free throw line jumper. He would drive around. He was aggressive. He was quick off the bounce. Really liked his game inside without Emil Jefferson. All right, uh, both Poldle and Zambo combined for a total forty-one point. 21 rebound line, uh, shot over 65% from the field. Emil Jefferson's loss uh, was just profound in this game in particular. Here's the problem with Duke playing a 2-3 zone this year, and I'm going to lay it out. Last year it worked for stretches because it was a change of pace for them. Okafor, even though he's not a great defender and never was in college and certainly isn't in the NBA, he could still move. He could still move around and get in lanes. And then Justice Winslow covered up for a myriad of Duke defensive sins because of his ability to get in lanes in that zone and cover up help D. They don't have that this year. And they have Marshall Plumley, who I I know he's improved Duke fans and he looks a lot better, but I don't really know if he's don't really know if he's Bill Russell out there. Right. <laughs> right. right, right. I mean, yeah, he's he's physical, but he still doesn't move that well. Especially defensively. Yeah, and with the loss like, of Jefferson, they lose that and if, big man. And, who and if can you don't move trust well. me, go ahead and take a look at Marshall Plumley's footwork on the defensive ends next time you watch Duke. Just right. look at his footwork. We'll right. do. And we'll when do. and when you talk about Winslow filling gaps for the Duke zone, it was mostly on the rebounding side, the defensive rebounding side. You know, Duke actually allowed uh, Utah to just dominate them on the glass. Allowed a twenty-seven percent offensive rebounding percentage to Utah, uh, well above where they are allowing that on the season. Um, that is where I saw Utah gaining a lot of momentum, and oh, gaining, yeah. gaining possessions, and then their ability to shoot the three. I just thought really changed the game. Um, you know, from a Duke perspective, it's going to make you nervous. You know, if you're a Duke fan going forward, how is the team going to rebound um, going forward when you're playing kind of a smaller lineup with Derek Thornton, you know, I think, Grayson Allen, listen, I think Kennard. I think Duke fans have resigned themselves that they're not going to win the title this year, that the ACC title, and they're just hoping to catch some magic in March. Catch lightning in the so bottle. One thing I, will say, that's what I think that's what a Duke fan needs to hope yeah, for at this point. I know we haven't played a game of conference play, 
But do you think uh, do you think Duke's going to get more wins in North Carolina or Virginia? Mm, doubtful. In it's not looking honestly. It's not looking very good for Duke. One thing I will say though, Grayson Allen was fighting the flu, so true. Not one hundred percent. You're right. He looked very un Grayson Allen like. True. So you know maybe maybe he'll he'll be healthy come their next game, but yeah, Utah completely obliterated them on the boards. Um, I think the the zone it was probably the right choice, but it, Utah did too good of a job. Of I think the down. bigger issue for them is you know Luke, you talked about how last year they were able to play zone because they had guys who could get in there and disrupt and cover up some lapses and cover a lot of ground, and I think they expected Brandon Ingram to be that kind of guy. You know, he's long, he's athletic, uh, can cover a lot of area, be really aggressive both offensively and defensively, and he's not really doing that. He looks he he he's looked much better. He's you know scored a lot of points in some games, but he still is not he's still a DH. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean you still see him in the, spade. Yeah, in, right. the, in the transition yeah. game, you know, off of steals, nobody finishes on that team like Ingram does. I mean, he he's a game changer in that respect. Um, but if you if you're not gonna be able to guard Bonham, who, you know, for Utah is 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 a good point guard, but not a great point guard. He's getting into the lane at will, um, getting to the getting to the rim, um, just just disruptive as as an offensive player against a Duke defense that should be better than that. All right, we got to get on to Villanova, Virginia. Yesterday as well, top 15 showdown. Charlottesville was the site. I have a lot to say about this. Of course, we were there. A couple of us were. Virginia started the lineup that we thought that they would go with. Wilkins got into the starting lineup, and so it was Gil Wilkins, Thompson, Brogdon, and Prentice, plus... That set played in crunch time, so it happened in the biggest game of the season. That's my number one observation. Then we'll talk about the backcourt, and you guys can uh, touch on Anthony Gill, but let's, let's go over Malcolm Brogdon for a little bit. I just, first of all, there's some things you can see in person, like in the starting lineups. I love how he just cruises through the lineup line, like uh, it, before his name is announced, he's already just huddling the guys up. Second of all, he had some he had some points of struggle against Archidiakono. I want to give Ryan. A hand for um, for his defense on. Did anybody else notice that? Yeah, he was. I thought he he gave Malcolm a lot of trouble Mm -hmm. in that game. And then I I thought when Jay Wright took him out, and he only had two fouls. I was a little bit. That was a little bit of a head scratcher for me. And that's when Malcolm got going. That's when he got going. Brunson could not could not stay in front of him. Yeah, and that's when the game started to tilt. Yeah, and the three point shooting just started started to open up. And here's how it opened up. Jay Wright said this himself. He said that. He was concerned with Brogdon getting into the paint, and he thought that that was starting to happen. So he told his guys to help D a little bit more, and that opened up shots. And he said, we, we're just going to have to live with it. Yep. And then Parentes knocked down every shot he took. Yeah, I think at halftime, UVA had only taken three three-point yeah, shots. 30, one for three. 30 minutes into the game, they were one for three from three. In the last 10 minutes of the game, they were seven of nine from three. That's and UVA there. Right around, and a lot of those were wide-open threes that came off that drive-and-kick action. Correct. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so at the 12-minute mark, Parentes and Brogdon scored nine in under two minutes, just like that. And that that created the gap. It turned into a 14-0 run when Devin Hall hit a three. And, uh, I mean, Villanova made a couple runs at it, but that was that was the game. That stretch was the game right there for me. Another observation, a lot of basketball IQ in that floor. Both teams. For sure. A lot of IQ. For sure. Oshefu. Oshefu was so great. So smart. So smart. Man, he... 
like some of those passes when he would receive the ball and like either the double team would come or he would find an open man like on on a when he would turn on the block. Yeah. It's really really great. Archie Diakono, what did he finish with? I know he didn't have a great shooting day, but he had about 8 assists. Sometimes yeah, yeah. Watching, defense. Sometimes watching no the game, I was surprised no that they did not uh, let Ochefu work a little bit more one-on-one down in the paint because of the way Villanova plays, their style is to shoot threes a lot. Mm-hmm. And so it's not something that they go to all the time. But it seemed like when they would allow him to work one-on-one, he was getting quality looks and scoring scoring a couple baskets. Well, Toby neutralized him a little bit when he was in there. Yeah. I want to point that out. In his post-game interview, uh, Tony Bennett specifically called out Mike Toby for providing... Good one-on-one defense. I don't think called out is the right word. Compliment. Praised. Complimented. Yeah. 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 Anything else, gentlemen? Chris Jenkins was unbelievable, uh, in the, especially in the second half. Like, I I didn't want him to shoot it anymore. <laughs> as as the resident as homer, homer, as the resident with, homer, I was like, ball. please, please, uh, don't don't shoot it anymore. Thank you. I think both teams can take something away from this. Uh, both teams are good at basketball. Yeah, Virginia, of course, you know, closed out and really lit the spark on offense. And then Villanova, they've been struggling with their shooting all year, and that's their focus. And I think they started to show some improvement in this game, Listen, especially against a good defense. Villanova didn't go away. Let's remind everyone of that's that. That's right. It's very, very true. They didn't go away in that game, and they could have. Yeah, so, UVA hit their I'll free throws the down there. the stretch to really uh, stretch out that lead. I'll also say one other thing. Villanova did try pretty much everything they had in the book to stop UVA offensively. You know, they rotated from a three-quarter trap to man-to-man full court to zone. You know, nothing really seemed to kind of stem the tide there in the last 10 minutes of that basketball game, especially when it came to the driving and slashing of the UVA guards, in, per- in particular Parentes and Brogdon getting into the lane at will. We didn't say anything about Anthony Gill, but um, he went over his left shoulder for the first uh, for, for the it. first basket I think his of play the year. For left shoulder sighting. <laughs> his field goal percentage the past two games against ranked opponents is somewhere around eighty something, right from the field. Yeah, eighties. Yeah. Uh, Parentes, minority opinion here. I think his usage rate is fantastic, and you know you get the the fans calling shoot more, shoot more. You know the old man behind you in, in the stands. I think he's doing fantastic. I think he, he has a great feel right now of how much he should attack and how much he should mm-hmm. distribute. Yeah, averaging mm-hmm. and seven Mal- field goal attempts on the year. And then Malcolm Brogdon with that dagger at the top of the key. That's something that we really didn't see last year. Anyway, that's a wrap on UVA Villanova. Next game. On to the ranked matchup at the Barclays. Number 22, UCLA, and number 11, North Carolina Guthrie. So I only caught the second half of this, but the first half looked like it was pretty tight. North Carolina came back after... Uh, Double-digit deficit, but second half was dominated by Bryce Johnson. Uh, UCLA did not have an answer for Bryce Johnson. They let him basically catch it wherever he wanted. He would catch it just like two feet in the paint sometimes, and he would just do that little And little we should jump mention hook. Kennedy Meeks was not involved. Yep. So it's he's, not as if... He is out for yep. like another week, week or so. It's not as if his partner in crime in the, in the front court was yeah. drawing the attention. He did this on his own accord. Yeah, he's really... He's really like Isaiah Hicks is, you know, in the mix, and so is Joel James. But really, Bryce Johnson was the guy in the front court for for UNC. Eleven for twelve from the field. Yeah, no, he was game. he was unbelievable. And like he would make these little jump hooks and just ridiculously high percentage looks at the basket, and then he would run back on defense, grinning ear to ear. And you know, who was like Tony Parker didn't know what he was doing on defense, looked clueless. 
Yeah, and without Kennedy Meeks on the floor, it felt like it actually opened it up a little bit for Bryce Johnson to kind of have more freedom of movement. He got out in transition a little bit, um, had had more room to move in the lower block, um, like Taylor mentioned earlier, 11 of 12 from the field. But really, 19 assists to eight, eight turnovers for North Carolina. That kind of non-pressure defense from UCLA really mm-hmm. hurt them. Um, but, uh, um, you know, kind of a negative here for UNC is that they still allowed a ton of offensive rebounds, especially in the first half, which allowed UCLA to stay in the game. They took more of a team uh, rebounding effort in the second half. But, again, similar to what you saw in Texas, where uh, it's a UNC team that's not used to giving up a lot of offensive rebounds. They gave up a lot here, again, against a UCLA team that's not known for it. Um, Trey Park or Tony Parker, uh, you know, played well in the first half, less so in the second half. But, but again, a, a solid UNC uh, win if you're a Tar Heel fan. I, I want to take this time to, uh, to mention something I've observed with North Carolina, just generally. Bryce Johnson... Like you said, a lot of facial expressions, a lot of emotion <laughs> oh, yeah. during that second half. Marcus Page does the same thing. I feel like the th- the top ACC teams, if we if we examine them, have very different demeanors out there. I, I don't want to say cocky because it's I don't know if that's a, a fair word, but North Carolina has with Page oh, and Johnson, they, definitely have, they a, have a that, swagger. They have that, you know, bob Absolutely. head a little bit. Absolutely. I, I mean, I'm I'm sure there's a lot of trash talk going on out there. Right. Which is gamesmanship. I think that's yeah. a good nothing, thing. Nothing bad about I would, that. I would want that. That's in my an team. observation. Yeah, that's I what I. That's that. why I play pickup basketball. I don't. I don't North, play it actually. Okay, so that's North Carolina. Virginia stolen face killers. Um, that's just what Brogdon and Prentice. They, yeah. they don't show any emotion. They just they have those face, those long faces. Duke on the other. I don't. I don't really know what Duke's Duke's characteristics are. Oh, Grayson Allen gets standpoint. fired up. Grayson yeah. Allen gets fired up. So no this doubt. is tanker, slap the passion, floor. fire. Yeah, so Louisville's okay. also in that kind of uh, cold hard. Uh, demeanor as well. Damian Lee just hitting uh, threes from half court. Uh, you know he's he's got that same uh, demeanor about him as well. But you know if you're looking at the top five teams now, if you Miami, Miami, what's Miami's demeanor? Jakiri, Jakiri. I'm just waiting for him to go full like Blanca from Street Fighter Two and just start like <laughs> jump on someone's chest, <laughs> electrocute and just somebody, start, like chomping on someone's chest because Jakiri is an animal. I mean that guy is the most intimidating guy in college basketball, I think, right now. I think that he just brings such fire to his team, especially in the paint uh, defensively. Big fan of his. Big fan. Okay, uh, that's enough on North Carolina UCLA. We had brief thoughts because we weren't able to watch it all live. Mm-hmm. So uh, on to the f- – <laughs> I don't know if we should bring this up. We have to, though. This is Eating Crow segment. So Notre Dame and Indiana. Oh, gentlemen, <laughs> Gentlemen, lots of thoughts here. Lots of thoughts Goodness. here. For me, first of all, it's good to know that Tom Crean listens to the podcast, right? <laughs> it's good to know we have some listeners. It's out good there, to yeah. know. I'm mad about this. I'm mad at Notre Dame because they went and took a dump. I'm mad at Tom Crean for listening to the podcast and actually coaching a basketball game. Uh, and I'm also mad at myself for taking Notre Dame because Mike and I, if you've listened to some of our prior episodes, yep. we, we, we're not in on this Notre Dame team. So I'll say, watching, especially. In the first half, really through most of the second half, um, Notre Dame up by about 10 in control, it seemed. They were up 16 at one point. 16 at one point. Their their offense running just kind of a weave action, these little curl and rub screens, uh, and then driving to the basket off those, they looked great. They were scoring. They were getting into the paint. And even though we've said that in the past we don't, think this Indiana team is that good. Let's remember that they are talented, and if you're an Indiana fan, one of the things you have to be frustrated in about their defense is that they're athletic and quick, and it's not a a problem of being too slow to keep up with people. It's that they make 
mental lapses. They lose guys in transition. There's open a lot of open trailer threes in this game. A mm-hmm. lot of open threes. But then, you know, Indiana tried some different looks. They went to a zone. In the second half, switched back to man, went back to the zone. And it really, it really seemed to pick them up, and they started to counteract uh, Notre Dame's ability to get lots of open looks. And then, of course, they can hit a switch and, and score points in a minute, too. Yeah, it's, it's actually kind of amazing. Indiana just completely turned it on defensively down the stretch. And I I don't know if it was the, the change in defense, like they would switch from zone to man-to-man. And I think Notre Dame had a, a hard time dealing with that because, um, like you were saying, I think their offense definitely favored the man-to-man looks from Indiana. And then they just weren't able to hit as many threes outside shots as they needed to to break down the zone. But... Mike, um, yeah, Mike, was this game proof that we need to stop gambling? <laughs> you, <laughs> but know, you did call it. Yeah, you absolutely. You, um, you know, th- this game I think drives you crazy if you're a Notre Dame fan or if you were, you know, actively wagering on Notre Dame. Obviously, um, you know, you have you have a team that's in control of the game throughout, and then Notre Dame seems to kind of put the brakes on. You know, they have about they're up about twelve, they're about seven minutes left. They know that they're a highly efficient offense. They know that they can score, you know, points by. Per- possession very easily they can kind of wear down the clock and indiana starts turning them over right so and then and that's a lot of those transition threes that taylor starts was talking about earlier but if, I, if i'm a notre dame fan if i if i really want to you know cheer for this team going forward you've got to get vj Beecham more involved he is one of the most dynamic shooters and scores i think in the acc uh, shooting wise uh, calm down oh yeah he, the down. man can shoot the Settle three down. um and also you just can said get to what are the, the most dynamic Scorers and shooters in the ACC. That is correct. VJ Beecham. He he is a very very talented basketball player. Only took I think six was it six or eight mm-hmm. shots on the day. You know, shooting over forty five percent from three on the year. Um, I think he's probably shooting over sixty okay. percent uh, for overall right. field All goal right. pretent field goal attempts. Um, but again, you know, I I think that it is a game that drives you crazy, especially because they were in control for so much of it. The thing about Notre Dame, I mean. Speaking of Beecham and all those guys, most of their guys are scorers. You know, there's nobody on their team that's that cannot be a dominant scorer in a game. All mm-hmm. their guys can score the score, get points, um, and that's that's scary. And like Guthrie was saying, it can lead to a lot of problems in if you're being played man defense against them because you can get some matchup nightmares. And right. I mean, when you have Bonzi Colson hitting mid-range jumpers easily and getting all those looks it, it becomes very difficult uh to guard them across the board he played he played fantastic um i was i was really impressed with bonzi colson so uh, I, I just want to throw this out there notre dame we thought they were going to improve on defense this year they're worse yeah and it's considerable mm-hmm. what are well, they in camp on 145 we just heard 145 and adjusted defense is notre dame right now we just heard Ken Pomeroy tell us that he has gained a little appreciation for Notre Dame. You know, a team that traditionally people say, oh, Mike Bray is bad on defense, but their offense is very good because it's it looks like... They don't take charges. They the don't offense, get foul trouble right. very much. And the offense, that offense can carry them through a lot of games against teams. Well, I'm not sold in neither is Mike is that it's going to carry him to a top five ACC finish. Oh, no way. No way. No way. Further no, down. They're, they're the 7th or 8th best team in the ACC, and I, I think we'll be lucky to make the tournament. Yeah, we can reconfigure. Lucky to make the tournament. They'll make the tournament. Well, just because people want to see him, made On the back of VJ Beecham. Let's go to Pope right now. 
we finished our pre our review, you could say, or our eating crow segment. We had a lot. Of, we had a lot of crow to eat there from mm-hmm. our picks. Hopefully this this week is better. Taylor and I were okay, but collectively our locks did not do well. That's right. going to change though this week. Yeah, well, potpourri guys. NC State in free fall. Is yeah. that a is that a thing? Yeah, is NC State in free fall? I think, you know, if you look at their record, they're only 8-3, and three, and that certainly doesn't seem to indicate that they're in any sort of dire straits. But if you if you dig into it, they've won their last four games, but every all of those teams were above 100 in the Ken Palm ratings. And really the only, any time they've really been tested, they've lost. They lost to Michigan uh, at home. They lost to Arizona State. Of course, they lost to William & Mary with the first game of the year. And they certainly have not looked as impressive as some people and some of us maybe certainly So the high point game, the high point game, 76-73. Yeah, they should have lost the game. They're playing at PNC. They're playing at home. Uh, a Cat Barber 3 at the buzzer wins it for him. First of all, what play did Godfrey draw up there? That's what I want to know. Because <laughs> I do I, I hope it's up. not that. <laughs> Here's our game-winning play, guys. Give it to Cat Barber and let him score. Yeah, let Which him there are worse plays out let's there. Kind yeah. of let's, set, set let's kind of set himself. a screen, but let's, let's yeah. not screen the defender. The, the let's, screener. let's just like give Cat a shove out to... Uh, to the wing so we can shoot from there. The, we'll give the a little shove, help. The shove heard around the world if you're a high point gracious. fan. Man, that right arm, could it have gotten more extended on his push-off? Well, I'm not talking about Cat. <laughs> I'm talking about whoever, who, who set the screen. Uh, I think that may have been I think the twins. I think it was Caleb yeah, Martin. Yeah, I think it was Caleb Martin. I think they were hoping that people would collapse on Caleb Cat was Barber the one who had the shove of the game because he he <laughs> bumped Cat out there. He yeah. did. He yeah. did. Create, yeah. create a little space. I, mean, I think their defense has got to be worrisome um, for NC State. They... When they played Bucknell, Bucknell scored 86 points uh, on North Carolina State in Raleigh. And Bucknell is 157th in adjusted efficiency um, on offense in the nation. You know, yeah, they they kind of remind me of what people say about Notre Dame. Their, their offense is not as good as Notre Dame's, but it's good. But then their defense really is. They do foul. You know, they... Mm-hmm. they they don't. They actually are very good about not giving up free throws. I take that back. But they do kind of attempt to play physical, and their defense is really what's let them down, to my mind. Yeah, I mean, they and you say that they're good offensively, but they don't play modern offense. I mean, they they rarely shoot the three. They're horrible at shooting the three. Um, they their only redeeming quality is that they're able to get into the line or get to the line. Um, you know, it's just a problematic team. Um, if you're, especially if you're in the ACC, where you you're in a Wolfpack team that has no size and you're dependent on inside scoring, I don't it's, see how they survive. I feel like NC State always has like scorers that are just like a thumb in the eye of modern analytics basketball. You know, the <laughs> three and D basketball, everything like that. They have guys who just are like all Trevor about taking Lacey, the, Trevor uh, Lacey, the eighteen foot put up, uh, CJ Leslie, Cat Barber. They take long twos and they take what would be considered over the long range inefficient shots, <laughs> and it. But somehow they score a ton of points. I I mean, it's kind of amazing, but also mystifying. Like they just look at a analytics spreadsheet and think to themselves, No, I got this. Don't worry about it. And right. it's it's worked out for them to a certain extent, I guess, in the past. Not but, in this year's ACC. Yeah, well, it doesn't look like it's working out this gentlemen, year. Gentlemen, I'm glad that you're coming around because on day one of this podcast I said I don't trust a team who's led by Cat Barber and BG Anya. Just saying. And I'm I'm glad you're with me on this one now. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad you finally come around. They really need Terry Henderson back. Um, I don't know when that's going to happen. I think it's going to be like another uh, probably month. So they need him back so they can finish, what, 10th? Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So his return Pretty will get much. him up to 10 or, or 11? Could they, could they get to 9, 8? 
with Terry Henderson? Uh, I don't know. I next team, next subject, as we continue on with our potpourri <laughs> portion of this podcast, Louisville. Ken Palm talked about him. Is Louisville rising right now? The best team that no one's talking about in the ACC. They're still an enigma, though. They're still an enigma. This is the one team that they have played uh, inside the top 140-ish State. was Michigan State, and they lost that game. Every other was, team they played. But it was competitive to the end. Right. And they and, certainly didn't embarrass themselves in that game. So the in-state rivalry happens next, right? They've got two more games um, in the upcoming week, Tuesday and Wednesday. Yeah, UMKC and Utah yeah. Valley. And then on the, the 30th. Kangaroos. Is it on the 30th? I think it's on the 26th. Yeah, it's on the 26th. Uh, Day Louisville, after Christmas. UK in Rupp Arena. Mm. Who do we like here? Well, well, well should, we, should we save that for our preview and picks? Yes, yeah, so we'll preview it in the, yeah. in the pick segment. But I guess going back to your initial question, is Louisville rising? I, I think they're rising in awareness. I don't think as a team they are getting better. I mean, I think that they are shooting the three better than they have for many, many years. I mean, a lot of that on the back of Damian Lee. Um, but I do not think that they are rising only because they're losing their powerful front court. Um, they've had two kind of huge injuries recently. Matang um, looks like he's going to be out Mat- for— Matang? F- Is that not how you say Matang? it? Matang? Matthew. Matthew? I, I hate last name. Not an astronaut. He's not getting my tang. <laughs> I, be- I believe it's pronounced on. You lived in Puerto Rico, man. <laughs> yeah, you should yeah, know that. God, come on. You're right. You're right. All right. Matthew Yang. Matthew Yang and uh, Mahmoud. Uh, who is it? Mahmoud. Mahmoud. Guthrie, Mahmoud. Yeah. The Egyptian. Mahmoud, they're hoping to have back for the UK game, but he's also out with a high ankle sprain right now. We we know that he won't be as mobile as uh, he'll need to be um, in that in that UK game. Um, so I wouldn't say that they're rising. You know, they're, they're a defensive team by nature. I think Patino is kind of going back to his old UK coaching style where he's jacking up threes and, and pressuring the ball. Um, so I don't know that they're rising right now. I cannot wait to preview this Louisville-Kentucky I'll game in they, about uh, five yeah. to five minutes, probably. I'll, I'll say yeah. that they actually, statistically, they're not shooting that many threes as a as a Their, their three-point shooting percentage has drastically improved, though. Right. They, they yeah. certainly are more accurate. I, I don't think you can pin that on even the competition. Points. So I, I don't care if you're playing poor competition. I still think three-point shooting is three-point shooting. I, now, that's the, true. the looks are a little bit more open, but still, shooters are shooters. Yeah, I, I agree. You're right. You're right. They're not They're not shooting as many threes as I, as I was I think, saying. You're I right. think uh, their bread and butter is really just like, Pressure on defense, forcing turnovers, upping the tempo, the fast break. I was going to say, the they, they, the boards. they do best they, when they attack, and they're they third have, in the nation in offensive yeah, rebounding yeah. rate. We, we talked about it last week, I think, or one of the other weeks, but yeah, great right. rebounding team. Yeah, I mean, if you look at their strength, it is in that front line. I mean, they're a great offensive rebounding team, and they have amazing defense within two-point percentage. Um, so, you mm-hmm. know, this is a team that really funnels everything to the middle and says, well, good luck. You know, I, I really hope that you can score in the paint. Um, otherwise, you know, we're willing to let you take threes. You know, it goes back to defense being able to dictate shot selection rather than just the percentage that they shoot. Fair enough. Let's look at Florida State now. The Florida State stretch is coming up. This is it. We'll probably discover a lot more information about this Seminoles team. This is the acid test. And it's in-state basketball. It's in-state basketball for FSU. They get Florida, right? Yes. Florida, Florida on next. the 29th. Yep. But can we stop pretending that's a thing, though? Can we stop pretending? 
What that inter- in-state rivalry? Yeah, the, Flor- the Florida's like uh, congratulations if you beat Florida. I don't, I don't think it, that's a thing anymore. I think Florida's still a good team. They're okay. not. It's not. Billy and then Miami. And then Miami is on the horizon as well. Right, with mm-hmm. Clemson and UNC in between, in mm-hmm. conference play starting up. How do we think our Florida State Seminoles? And I say our because they were the sleeper of this podcast day one. Now that's going to change. We can realign some of our picks. We might do that to close because ACC play is about to begin. No, dude, I'm still I'm still on the on the Seminole bandwagon. I haven't jumped off either. Yeah, I'm on it. I like I like this team. I'm here for the long haul. I like this team, and I think they're gonna they're gonna get better. Like they're gonna hit their stride come ACC season. I think. So what makes you think that they will hit their stride? They'll improve from what we've seen so far. Because they have two. Well, they're going to learn how to play together. They're going they're going to keep learning how to play together. Yeah. And those those two freshmen, they still need to learn how to play together. They're now nicknamed the Killer Bees. I heard this yesterday uh, on the airwaves. The Killer Bees was it Bacon and Beasley? Oh yeah. They they need something a little better than that, but they they have been phenomenal uh, to start the year, and and I think have taken a lot of that pressure that XRM puts on himself, and uh, he's kind of been able to. He's been able to push that onto the Killer Bees. The Killer Bees and XRM. It's like the start of a a Marvel comic. (laughs) Here's a question. Could XRM hurt this team at all? I think I... So that is an interesting question because sometimes he does force it a little bit. But I think he knows his place in that there is enough talent on this team where he doesn't have to be the guy. But he wants to be the guy. He, uh, yeah, he yeah. wants. I to think be he the does, guy. but he does. like good he, players want the ball in their hands at the end of the game. It's true. Listen, it's true. But I've so there were Dwayne a couple, Bacon's the guy. He's the guy. He's the guy. Yeah. He's, Mike. Mike. He's yeah. the guy. Dude, Come on, Mike. Come on. I I think Malik Beasley is the best player on their team. Malik Malik Beasley is a baller. I talked about it. I like Bacon. At, he's definitely yeah, the best. Anyway, he's definitely both, the best three right. point shooter on yeah. their team. They're both, which is something they really. Have been hurting this Bacon's season. He's IQ really the is, only person shooting Bacon, well. Bacon's right. IQ is is through the roof right now. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, we're, we're, I guess we're still we're still on it's the on the Seminole bandwagon. The jury is out on the Seminoles for now, but we will Taylor, see have soon. you jumped? Have you jumped off? No, but I'm I'm leaning towards the edge. Oh, yeah. You tried to pretend like you picked Miami third. I remember that a couple weeks ago, <laughs> but, but it was really Florida. State. Yeah. Wait. So I where mean, where do you, you see know, this? Them? Is another team where they've only lost two games, but. It's it makes me uncomfortable that the biggest test they had against Iowa in the ACC Big Ten Classic was the the game that they lost. And granted, they only lost by three. It was an overtime. Um, I think I think Iowa is like fair enough. We got we got to hit Georgia Tech quickly. A tale of two cities. A tale of two teams. A tale of two bees. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever you want to call it. So in the past, whatever whatever the title of this portion of the right. In the past week, they played uh, VCU on Tuesday and Georgia yesterday on Saturday, and they uh, handled VCU, I thought, convincingly. Yeah. Um, ended up beating them by 13 points. And then against Georgia, uh, they came away with a 14-point loss. Yeah. Um, they might be a little bit better than we thought. Oh, definitely. Preseason project- well, I think one of the things that the Georgia game showed was with Charles Mitchell off the floor, 
they are significantly weaker. Right, right. Yeah, I think Charles Mitchell made his uh, case for ACC Player of the Year by <laughs> only playing 15 <laughs> minutes in that Georgia game and just watching uh, watching his team kind of go to crap around him. I mean, only only player in the country that had averaged a double-double um, every game this season. Um, and just without him uh, inside and offensively, they You, really can, you can tell that they're worried about him getting in foul trouble. He picked up one foul. 30 seconds into the game and they pulled him off the off the floor. Yeah. And I mean that's just a sign to me that they I I don't think that that was necessary but it's a sign to me that they are very very worried about um So uh, so Mike's like ACC first team right now is VJ Beecham, Mitchell Blossom all game. T- yeah, all teams. Who <laughs> Blossom game who also could not be all found teams, in Little John Coliseum. The best, the best are, players on mid-tier teams. Yeah, players yeah. <laughs> who aren't going to be anywhere near the top five. Right, okay. right. I mean, you know, Georgia Tech also, just quickly, right. um, they only have one real shooter on their team, which is going to hurt them going forward, Adam Smith. You know, if he would have actually stayed at Virginia Tech, I would have loved to see what he could have done there. Um, but, you know, transferring to Georgia Tech, um, you know, I think he's he's one of the leading uh, shooters on their Poor team. Poor Ken. Poor Ken. Bad luck. Yeah. And then Buzz is going to leave him for Wisconsin. So mm. I will say, I think Georgia Tech leads the ACC in um, incorrect fundamental hand layups. I've seen them all the time, even, you know, on Charles Mitchell on a wide open breakaway layup. Instead of, you know, in old YMCA basketball, they teach you to, you go on the right side and you use your, you go on the left side of the basket, use your left hand. You go on the right side of the basket, use your right this, hand. This is mm-hmm. skilled analysis. They jump off the other foot and use the inside hand for the layup, even when they're open. Sometimes mm. they use it to stretch under a defender, but all the time I see it open and it mystifies me. Yeah. Okay, yeah. It gets under my skin. Get your something, peach something basket. Something in the water <laughs> in Atlanta. <laughs> to finish out this episode, preview and picks. Gentlemen, we finally arrived at the talking point of Louisville versus Kentucky. This game, we have the Wildcats at home from Rupp, favored by two. Let's discuss. I love Louisville here. Love Louisville. Oh, me too. All day. Getting Love two. Louisville. I can't say it loud enough. We watched Kentucky yesterday go down to Ohio State, who is a severely undisciplined team. So Kentucky, I, I know it was really, I mean, Murray's incredible. Can we say that? Definitely. Murray's incredible. He, yes. He's the best player on that team right now. Maybe with the exception of Tyler Eulis sometimes. Where's Tyler Eulis been, though, during those two losses? I mean, I, I don't even know he's on the floor. That's a problem. Yeah, he'll, dis- he'll disappear occasionally, but... Yeah. Yeah. You know, and he's I, the smallest guy on the floor. It's not like he's hard to find. So yeah. he disappears and he has that characteristic. I, I don't know. I, I don't like this Kentucky team. I don't like him. Oh, well, that's a little harsh. Yeah. I mean, they, they are... <laughs> I, I, I'm not... Yeah, that's rough. <laughs> that's Man, a little... Savage. I mean, I know they're in the SEC, but I mean, it, you know, they're not a bad team. I mean, I... Well, t- t- Taylor and I were talking... <laughs> we were talking off the record. This was uh, pre-podcast days. We were talking about K- Kentucky, and we had them as a three seed. Didn't right. we? Yes. I think that... I, I think that Kentucky is not, you now, know, top five in the nation this they, year. They might climb up to a two because they play in the SEC and they're going to win the SEC conceivably. I, as much as I like Louisville, I think in this game I would take UK minus two. I just, in Rupp, that's going to be a great environment for them. Mm-hmm. And that's an old, hoary, cliched thing, but it is true that home environments help. You're they right, do. You know? they and do. Um, I'm not worried about 
Eulis or any or Murray or anybody disappearing in the game against Louisville. Um, Kentucky on offense, they haven't been amazing about avoiding turnovers all the time, but they're good enough that I I don't think Louisville's pressure is going to force a ton of turnovers in oh, Rupp. I see. I disagree there. I think that Kentucky. I don't think Kentucky is a good passing team. I think when you when you break it down, their actual turnover numbers. I think that their you know non steal percentage. Um, turnovers, you know, turnovers that are, that are not necessarily, I don't want to say forced by the defense, but turnovers that are not stolen from the offense, but rather balls that are, or ball when the ball is turned over on offensive fouls or, you know, just, just throwing the ball out of bounds. Um, Kentucky has an incredibly high percentage there, almost 10% um, of their total possessions. Um, and also their assist per field goal made is incredibly poor for, for a team that shoots the ball as much as Kentucky does from the outside. Also, um, Let's talk about Kentucky on the defensive glass. I know this is not a yeah, I was it's not a sexy statistic or department, but rebounding. I don't know if you watched last night or yesterday afternoon against Ohio State. Ohio State banged the boards on them. They did, and that's yeah. uncharacteristic of Kentucky teams. I mean, you can track back to Davis. That team rebounded at a tremendous rate. Last year's team was one of the best rebounding teams of all time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's not good. Yeah, so they they actually are pretty decent at offensive rebounds, which should be interesting because that's also the strength. But we're of talking Louisville. about the defensive glass, right. right? So defensively, they and they are gets after it's it. a liability. But they see, get that, after that it. is exactly. the question. I exactly. mean, who, who plays for Louisville? Do you have Mathiang in there banging the glass? Do you have yes. Mahmoud in there banging the glass? I mean, Mathiang will not be playing. Right. Uh, he is their are, second uh, second leading rebounder. Correct. On, on the and, team. and Mahmoud is equally as efficient on the offense of glass um, but I, I think a lot of it comes down to who's playing for Louisville and can Jalen Johnson and Raymond Spalding the guys that'll kind of be picking Listen, up the, the guards the guards attack the glass too let's remember I think right the rebounding next. for UK is also Labissier is not a great rebounder it, no it's you know he just he gets pushed around in there but Marcus Lee who I think should be playing more minutes for UK is great on the glass I mean he is a fantastic rebounder and Poitras also a wing player, but he and he and um, Lee wait, have the two highest wait. rebounding rates Poitras on UK's team. He's not a wing player. Well, he's a st- no. stretch no. wing. Player. Yeah, he can right. handle yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah uh-huh. he gets out there. Yeah, no. he gets out there. No. All, all I see is just There's... him getting dunked on by Prince Ali. That's I can't get it out of my head. <laughs> <laughs> just like it just it shakes okay, me to my Guthrie, very core. He, he like, might not be able to get out of his like, head either. I like Louisville. I like Louisville right. a lot. Um, it's gonna be an entertaining game. Guthrie and I are on the same page. For the first time, well, last week we went against each other and everything but Notre Dame. But uh, Mike, yeah, you with a, us? I'm on the Louisville train. Choo choo. I mean, you know, assuming assuming that Mahmoud plays. If Mahmoud plays, you couldn't pay me to take Louisville. Mahmoud's or if he does not play, Mahmoud's I should say play. he better play. Next game to watch: Xavier at Wake Forest, Winston Salem, the venue. Wake Forest. What are we thinking here? Projected line. Uh, projected line. Nine is, point dogs. Well, yeah, nine Wake Forest dogs. plus nine at home. Um, I'll just take, well, wait. I, I don't have much to okay, say yeah, here. Yeah. I'll take. I like Xavier. I think they're good. I think they might be a top five team. Xavier is damn good. I have not watched an entire Xavier game, unfortunately, yet this season. Um, I might have to go back and watch that Cincy game that was last week. But uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be a very challenging uh, what evening? Yes, seven o'clock game for uh. Wake Can you give listeners the date as well of that game? It is the 22nd, which is Tuesday, Tuesday. Mm-hmm. at 7. 
So, you know, set as much your, set as your I, DVRs. As much as I want Wake Forest to make this close game or win the game. For the ACC. Right. I I would have for to take... For the ACC. I would have to take Xavier even giving up the points. I think they're just too much for Wake Forest. Guthrie. <sighs> I'm going go, to go Wake. You're I'm going to go Wake. wake. I'm yeah. going to go Wake. I don't right. care. I don't care. Ride it. Just ride it. Yeah. I like it. I, I like this Wake team. Uh, Xavier is going to be very difficult, but... You know, wake with the points. If it's nine, you know, never, you never know. Mike. Yeah, you know, it's, this is a tough game uh, for me. Both teams are overly reliant on getting to the line to score points. Um, neither defense is particularly um, skilled uh, outside of Xavier's ability to uh, clean up the glass. Um, I, I actually like Wake Forest here. I think they have a little backdoor cover. Now, I'm, I'm on the I'm, consider me a deacon for the evening. So we're split on this one. That's right. Two Xaviers and two Wakes. Finally, Cal versus Virginia coming your way on Tuesday as well. Nine o'clock. So you can watch a double dose of ACC basketball if you watch Wake first. And then you can watch Cal UVA. We're thinking Virginia, no line out yet, of course, because we're taping this on a Sunday, but we're thinking Virginia. Minus 13. Virginia minus 13. <sighs> and it may even go higher. It may even go higher. I think that's high. Talk about a team really in free fall. Storylines, Darius Thompson <laughs> playing against his former coach who recruited him, who he has tremendous respect for, Quinzel Martin. Yeah. It's a storyline. They're playing a different defense, though, <laughs> than they did when Darius played at Tennessee with Quinzel. But. 13 points is a lot of points to give up. Cows, cows, they're still figuring things out. They're young. But they certainly have a lot of talent. They do. Mm-hmm. And it's hard, it's hard to give up that many points against such a Talented team. They're going to have to be disciplined, and they're going to have to make some threes. That's the formula for Cal. Uh, they're not a great three-point sh- three shooting team. Um, it's going to be tough, I think, for them. Do you know what their up. collective percentage is? Somewhere in the 30s, right? Uh, it looks like 33. 33? Yeah. Okay. Which is not horrible, I guess. I think I'm going to take UVA giving the points. It's Virginia, a lot. It's a lot of points to give up, but I'm, I, I can't, I can't depend on Cal at this point. And UVA seems to be really rounding into form, really picking it up, closing games out. Sure, but we've we've talked about how difficult UVA is to bet on sometimes, especially when they're playing at home, and you could see walk-ons. I don't know if this is, is this a walk-on game. Do you think definitely they get in? Yeah, I think it's it's pretty possible. Mm. We'll see some walk-ons coming into this game. I don't know. You may have convinced me to revise it, but no, I'm sticking with it. You're sticking with UVA Virginia covers I, I am going to pick. What Cal. does everybody think? I'm going to pick Cal with the points, since picking the team UVA has played has worked out so far the past three weeks or so. You're a homer. Yep, sticking with Cal with the points. Yeah, well, I, Virginia's I, Virginia's covered every time I've gone with them. So, are you saying you're going with them again? 13's a lot. 13's a lot. 13 is a lot. I don't think that's going to be the line. Everyone stop going back and forth. Just, you <laughs> got to make a decision. I'll, ta- gotta... I'll take Virginia. <laughs> All right. I'll, I'll definitely take Cal. I think defensively inside, I don't think they allow UVA to get the easy baskets that they got against Villanova. Um, I think they force UVA to shoot the three. I like Cal, um, especially for, uh, for 13 points. Fair enough. Those are the picks. Okay, before the close, the much-anticipated portion of this pod not quite as anticipated as Kempom, but the ACC Holiday Gift Guide. 
we're going to give a gift to each. Well, each of us is going to give a gift to an ACC team, and Taylor's going to begin. Yeah, for uh, Jim Laranega and the Miami Hurricanes. Wait, is it a new tracksuit? Is no. it a catheter? Uh, next year. Oh, next catheter. Year. <laughs> I'm sorry. Guys, guys. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. I love Jim. I love Jim. For Jim Laranega, I'm going to give him, and the entire team, really, a membership to the Key West Butterfly and Nature Conservatory. Uh, this will be great for his <laughs> butterfly releases that they do before games. It's a wonderful place. I would have picked the new uh, Soliento, Soliento album. Yeah. I Watch Me Whip. Watch Me Nene. Silento, yeah. We'll, we will also <laughs> give him maybe some CDs, some, a Spotify subscription, something like that. But the <laughs> okay. Nature Conservatory, the Butterfly Conservatory in Key oh, West. That's a good membership. It's a beautiful place. I love that it has to be a membership it's too, not a one-time yeah. trip. Oh, no, no. It's a, it's a year-long membership. <laughs> Unlimited visits. It is a thoughtful gift. So gotcha. I, will, I will give Mark Gottfried from NC State a, a healthy right ankle ligament because that is what he needs right now for Terry Henderson. His right ankle is is pretty messed up. <laughs> and they really need Terry Henderson back or else they're going to have a really long season. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Um, I'll, I'll be gifting uh, to the Pittsburgh <laughs> Panthers um, a lost senior year for Steven Adams. If they had him <laughs> here this year, uh, I believe that they'd be the best team in the country. Uh, Steven Adams, Wow, best team year, in the country. That's what I'm gifting to Pittsburgh fans across the country. That's very thoughtful. <laughs> Finally, I'm going to give to Duke. I want to get the post player. I want to make things interesting this year. Hmm. I want to see him compete. So, so you're also going to so give him Steven do, Adams lost senior season. I'm going to give Coach K a plane ticket to Germany for Emil Jefferson. And I also might give him a lab in some castle where he can he can spend some time away from his family during the Christmas season and build like a Frankenstein walk-on hmm. to put on the court. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah, just like assemble a Frankenstein and say, oh, here's <laughs> this guy, like some white guy named. Like, yeah, he's, he's a walk-on. Like the mountain? Yeah. Yeah, like a reanimated mountain. Yeah, exactly. Let's get let's get uh, let's get Kyburn on the phone. See what see what he can uh, cook up. Well, hopefully Shashevsky has already reached out. Oh yeah, hopefully he's probably he's are. probably on his favorites list on his phone. Yeah. yeah, that's what I'm giving. Okay, a couple public service announcements for the ACC Basketball Degenerates podcast as we close. Please uh, reach us on Twitter at ACCBballDegens. Uh, you can find us on Facebook. Just search ACC Basketball Degenerates. And find us on the iTunes store. Please review us and rate us and send us your letters. ACCBBALLDGENS, that's A-C-C-B-V-A-L-L-D-E-G-E-N-S at gmail.com. There you go. Subscribe, spread the word, pick up some three-notched if you're in Harrisonburg or Charlottesville or... Soon to be Richmond. A grocery store. Grocery store. Yeah, soon to be Richmond. Uh, a proud sponsor of the podcast. And one other note, we're going to go on a short hiatus just for the holiday season. going to be spending some time with our families, our respective families. I love that you don't call them loved ones. Our loved ones. <laughs> yeah. There's a pause there. I, will be, <laughs> I was looking for the right word. I will be spending time with my Shoot. loved ones, uh, Charles Mitchell. And Marcus George's hunt. Yeah, I'm still yeah. looking for a Jared Blossom game. I assume he's gonna. I'm going to South Carolina. Yeah, I'm going, going, to to South going down Carolina there to find him. So yes, yeah, so I don't know when we're going to be back, but when we return for the next edition, it will be after ACC play is underway. So early in the new year, hopefully yeah. early early January is when we'll, we'll yeah. get the next yeah, one we're out. Hoping, uh, maybe January conference third. play. Yeah, get your wow. popcorn ready. Get your popcorn ready. And ACC. What, and what a I'm time gonna, to be alive. And here's conference what we're gonna play. Do. Here's, we're gonna, here's what we're going to do next podcast. We're going to have a last chance to revise. 
to revise our ACC projections. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give you guys the chance. I'll give myself the chance too. <laughs> but yeah, after we've seen this non-conference and then we'll go from there. I like it. So long folks until next time.